Yeah, but Cal, those are two things that don't really go together, though. We, we go together like cocaine and waffles. From the great Midwest, it is Cocaine and Waffles. (laughs) The Ultimate Camera Chat Podcast featuring none other than Johnny Sisson and Mike Ekman. All right. Hey Johnny. Yo. Right. What's up, dude? How you Not doing? Too much. I already started recording. Oh, cool. For sound I just, bite materials. I just noticed your beard's coming in nice there, man. Yeah, I Looking tried good. it out pretty good last year, then I shaved it off. The problem is it's real thin on the sides here. Oh yeah. I yeah. wish I wish I could make it a little fuller. I, I can I can I've always been good at a goatee, but I just I hate it that I, I get this real thin oh, yeah, on both yeah. sides. It just See, I get it. I get it where it comes way up here on both yeah. sides. I have the opposite. You need to get. I need to give you my like yeah, hair cheeks. from right here. Yeah, I need to borrow your cheek hair. <laughs> All right, we got uh, Anthony and Theo already here. Oh, cool. So we'll just start with them. Um, you kind of sprung this on about an hour ago, so I'm, I'm not <laughs> <sure what> <laughs> that's the best part. Um, well, okay, I might be able to start with something then. All right, I I received this week. Um, a it's talking about 35 millimeter battery rep, uh, dependent uh, shutters. My brand new oh, R3. Ooh, nice, nice, uh, very nice. Um, absolutely brilliant condition. I can't believe it. The guy sold it for about 100 bucks. Wow, so, that's um, excellent. So I'm quite happy about that. Now, now I've had a look at the lenses and. Um, had a little bit of a cry when I looked at yep. the prices of the lens. <laughs> I, I picked up a Leica Flex body uh, about two years ago. I think I paid like sixty bucks for it, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And then just to get any kind of lenses for it just was was fear inducing. Yeah, it's I've, tough. I've been shooting uh, a Contax RX. Oh Jesus! Um, I Same did. Problems. I did kind of a. Um, I had an RTS three that a seller had sold as, as being in good, good working shape. And I got it and it fired up. Like, I mean, it actually seemed like it was working okay, but there was something with the film transport, you know, it had a uh, quick load system where no matter what I did, it would not grab the leader. I mean, I tried four different film stocks. I tried bulk loaded film. I wow. tried like Fuji 200, you know, I tried uh, some film bases that were thinner than others and it just, it wasn't feeding it no matter what I did. So I ended up returning it, but then I got, I got an RTS two, which worked really well. And then the same guy that I bought the RTS two from said, I, I have this RX I'll send it to you and you can decide if you want to keep it or not. And it's like, damn it. I know I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I, I just have a Yashika lens on there. Nice. So the, so the nice thing about this versus um, the Leica is you don't have a cheap lens option to, to yeah. you know, step down to, you know, the, even though that's what the Minolta XD 11 frame or something, it's not the same mount. 
Yeah. No, I don't no, think there, no. I don't think there's any adapters to you adapt. Can, you you can put uh, T mount stuff on there, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of having yeah. a like R. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. But you see, the, the the problem I think is the the like R lenses are becoming rarer and rarer because the, a lot of them are just being converted over to the, yeah. the cinema stuff, right? Which is totally. um, which is a little bit of a shame because it's it's really the actual R series is affordable camera. It's just the lenses have gone way out of, out of control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and for me, like it, I'd love to have an R3, you know, I'd love to have any of those bodies to play with, but I've, I've officially reached that point where once I take a picture, I can't tell the difference between one good SLR versus right. another. And, you know, I mean, like, like, I mean, I'm just going to keep pointing this thing out because I have it here, but the RX is, is really cool. It has in-body focus assist, even though it's a manual focus camera. Um, Contacts had that other one, the AX, I think that has the, the movable fo- film plane. Right. So you can right. actually get autofocus on a- manual focus lenses. But I mean, good luck finding one of those for anywhere close to reasonable, you know, and right. Contacts is despite the name are not immune to problems, you know, getting right. these things at work is, <laughs> that was the issue Very with true. the RTS three that I did. And, you know, normally when I do on the site, a camera that's not working, I do that like camera of the dead where I give sort of an abbreviated one, but the, the RTS three was so cool. And I had so much I wanted to say about it. I just mm-hmm. made it like a regular review and, and I could imagine at least a couple of people like read through it and got to the bottom, go, oh, let's see what this thing can do. And it's like, what? Did you even get any images out of it? That, so. that thing has an amazing viewfinder. Like yeah, the, they all the, do. The, the info display is just out of this yeah. world. Yeah, I really, I really like, I mean, I, now the RTS 2, 3, the 2 is pretty basic. It, it looks a lot like the Canon A1 with that red LED display, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. I like it because it like makes you feel like I'm a, like the Terminator or something, you know, <laughs> with the red, you know, lines, uh, numbers. But so, so yeah. what makes it so good though? Is it is it clear or is it a lot of information or is it? It's it's just I think it's for one the viewfinder itself is as bright as any out there. I mean it's I mean is it any brighter than a you know f4 or f6 or whatever probably not but i just it has a really nice layout of controls like it feels mm-hmm. like you're shooting a modern day dslr but in a manual focus film body you know there was there was only a very narrow crossover between the manual focus film era and modern uis mm-hmm. you know um i mean like like you know in, in nikon um the n90s i talk about a lot as being a fantastic value Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Paul Reibolt said that they'd sell a ton of the 8008, the N8008, which has kind of a modern viewfinder, but those are all autofocus cameras. And yeah, I know you could put them in manual right. focus mode, but like with these contacts, they stuck with true manual focus pretty late. They had, um, what was it called? The N series, I think, in the, in the like very late 90s or something when they finally released an autofocus lens. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's fun to have those kind of like modern versions of older cameras, you know, but I mean, do they make my pictures any better? No, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, like you always hear these, these people talk about the prices of things always skyrocketing. People are using them adapted, you know, cinema lenses, this and this and this. And yeah, the prices have gone up, but yeah, I mean, if you're actually, I mean, <laughs> You know, we're, I mean, I'm a collector, but I'm also a user. You know, I like shooting these things. I like reviewing things. But the, the real is, you know, I, I do run out of things to say about, well, this this camera took nice pictures too, just like yeah. the last one did. I, I will say that that Simicron R, that 50, 
that yeah. to me, that is one of the few 50 millimeter SLR lenses. When you see it, there's yeah. something different about it. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. It's like, to me, they all look pretty much the same. Yeah, but that that's one of the few lenses. It's like, oh, what what's going on with this okay. thing? It, I mean, it really does. It has so a there special, is something special. Then it does. It has a certain pop to it that really is oh, yeah. uh, is really something else. So it's, it's I guess still that's thing. I guess that's why the cinema guys love it. That's why, yeah. And they're yeah. also across the line. They have a very consistent look. Like they they're consistent color wise or consistent rendering wise. It's sort of like actually I think Olympus was really good with that too. Like the OM line is really consistent, but the R line is really consistent and they're really adaptable to cinema. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like a it's a sweet spot. So does it not have click stops? That's why cinema people like it, or what's like why cinema? Well, they they declick them. So they yeah, but I mean you could do that to any lens, though, can't you? Yeah, I think it's just the adapting for whatever reason is easier. Probably because okay. the I don't know if it's because the uh, register distance is so long, but you know they're be. just easier because to it's adapt. actually the EF mount they adapt oh. them to, isn't it? Yeah, generally. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony's got a contact there. Yeah, I've got stories about these contacts, uh, SLRs, and reliability. Anthony, took a bit of a beating, but luckily Nippon Photo Service in Japan is my friend. Uh. Yeah, Anthony had a couple of cameras. You know, Anthony's been nice. Oh, and as a result, by the way, of last week's podcast, I sent some packages out. So <laughs> I returned a couple things to Anthony. I still have his horizon, though. I'm not done with that one. Uh, but I did start sending some things back. Um, but anyway, yeah, he was talking about some of his contacts, and he's like, I'd love to send you one of these, but I'm afraid they'll stop working in the mail. You know, he's he's yeah. had some bad luck with those. Yeah, I had two S2 bodies before I finally found one that worked. And then it was working perfectly fine, and the mirror box fell out. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and then the ST, I purchased it from a kid down in Miami who, I mean, he had really no idea what he had, and he sold it to me for like $75. Um, and it was just it was just pretty foobar, and it took um, several hundred dollars at Nippon Photo Service to get it up and running. And I love it now. I shoot, I've shot hundreds and hundreds of frames through it and that's uh it's the only sort of modern automated slr that i have yeah yeah but, uh, nice. i'm just i'm nervous about it because you know it took a lot of sending cameras back and forth to find ones that worked yeah that's yeah, frustrating especially I, when you spend the money on the lenses i was gonna yeah. say it's too bad cheyenne isn't here because he would be jizzing over talking about uh <laughs> contact stuff right now because it yeah. is contacts aria but i didn't we i'm trying to remember which contacts it is is a casino and i was about to say the problem is you need one of the casino contacts with anthony <laughs> well you know oh. this s2 it's like it's, it's probably similar to the ax it's a serious beast it's a yeah. heavy duty camera the uh, rts3 is, is freaking huge oh. i mean it's it's as big as an f6 it's I mean, like it's a medium format big. camera yeah it's yeah. basically has like an extended battery grip built into the body like there's a secondary shutter release on the bottom so when you hold it portrait mode, you have that secondary shutter release. We had one of those at Central Camera for ages that we couldn't <laughs> sell because it yeah. was just, you know, it was at a price point and it was right. huge. And also it had problems. We had to send it out like three times. Uh-huh. It was a nightmare. We finally got rid of it. <laughs> so we have our first our first guest, uh, Mark Faulkner, uh, just jumped is. in. Um, Mark and I chat a lot. He's he's a, a collector blogger, just like all of us. Um you're, you live where in Maryland? Correct. Yes, just outside of DC. Just outside of DC. So, um, 
Yeah, Mark, and actually Mark and Johnny, I met the first time on the same day. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was the first time I was going to go downtown Chicago to visit Central Camera, and Mark happened to be in town. So he's like, well, I'll meet you there. You know, so I walked in. It was Mark and I walked into Central, and, and uh, you know, we got to talk to Johnny that first time. Yeah, it was great. Um, but I've met him a yeah. couple other times since then. And then you, you two have actually kind of another thing in common. Uh, Mark is in the process of buying a new house. Oh. Whereas, whereas Johnny's trying to buy a new house uh, <laughs> yeah. and in the associated challenge of packing up your collection and moving it. Oh man. Yeah. I think I've got about, <clears throat> I don't know, 400 pounds of it packed up so far. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a nightmare. I found yeah. the biggest, heaviest boxes you can get on, on Amazon. And that's what I'm packing in. Well, the oh, problem yeah. with cameras is you don't want a big box because if you fill up a big box, then you can't lift it. Right. Yeah, I would have to get a large a large cart to move these around, maybe a couple strong guys to help me. So. Yeah. And that's I, a really good point. That's a really good point. I, I can't I went through some renovations recently and had to put the whole collection into boxes. Yeah. And I did actually fill the boxes too much. So they end up all over my floor in my office. And I literally spent, you know, a couple of months having to tiptoe around boxes to try and get to a chair yeah. <laughs> because you couldn't move any of these these camera boxes anywhere. Yeah, yeah this uh, the wall behind me, you could see it's just cinder blocks and wood is, is actually a temporary solution because we were supposed to remodel this basement and actually build a proper room. But the furnace went out, you know, a bunch of crap happened. We ended up just building the bathroom and we thought, all right, we'll just do the rest of the basement the next year, which is this year. And we were, my wife and I, it was like March, maybe April. We're like, all right, are we going to do the basement. I was like, yeah, let's do this. And then we looked at the price of lumber. Um I don't know if if that if it's a worldwide problem or if it's just unique to the United States, but like Crazy. lumber is like triple, mm-hmm. of maybe even more of what it used to cost. I mean, just yeah. to get a two by four is like seven or eight dollars. Yeah, same with know? drywall too. Yeah. Is it yeah. really? Yeah. 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 yeah, housing starts are down. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's a thing right now. So just I mean, just to frame out a basement. I mean, I don't have a huge house. This is probably 1100 square feet, you know, and there's already a bathroom. So I don't, wouldn't even need to do that section. So yeah, I'm just going to eight to 900 square feet. Isn't a ton, but I mean, it, it's going to cost $15,000 and just lumber, you know? So it's like, I'll just leave the temporary, temporary wall of cameras here, but it's like, ah, I don't want to move it again because <laughs> of the totes. Yeah. And then when you have them in totes, it's like, what do you do? Do you actually inventory like which cameras and which one, or do you just, do you surprise yourself when you when you open it up? I think it's going to be a surprise. I, I'm trying to do where I have a lot of cameras on the bottom and then other related photography paraphernalia on the top, so they're not quite as heavy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as what's in there, I've got all my nice rangefinders in one box. That's all I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is fun though to like be surprised. Oh, I forgot I had this one. Wait a minute, I didn't know I had three of these. <laughs> yeah, I've, been, I've been going through and doing an inventory during uh, during lockdown, and I was amazed at how many cameras I didn't realize I had. Um, <laughs> I, think I, I think I'm well north of the 500 mark now. Oh, wow. I've never even counted. I, I'm afraid to know what the real number is. <laughs> you know, and honestly, like, if I really were to try and count, should I count all the broken cameras, too? You know, because, I mean, I do keep a lot of broken cameras, like, for spare parts and stuff. I mean... You can't see it, but I mean, I have four big, big totes of just like garbage, you know, that I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice a screw from. I mean, it's, it's amazing how many times you could Jerry, you know, Jimmy a screw from one camera 
uh, Yashica rangefinder screws seem to be like universal with a lot of other cameras, you know, or something along those lines. So I do keep oh. some, or I'll have like a backup of something, you know, I'll have, I probably have six or seven y- Yashica electros, you know, so it's like, I'm not going to count seven of those. I'll just say I have one and then, you know, lie to myself. <laughs> um, I, need, I needed a screw for this R2 with the back of this R2A and I just happened to find one in a box somewhere that fit it. So show us, the, show us the R2A. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I love, man. I love casino rangefinders. Is that I a really Canon? Do. Is that a Canon one nine? Uh, correct. Yes. This wow. is one of the ones I, I don't know, 1.8 actually. Um, I got it from, oh darn, the gentleman in Baltimore who does the photo walks. Um, he's, he's on, he's actually active on VCC. I'm trying to remember what his name is, but he sold me like three Serenar lenses John, a while back. Johnny Martyr? No, he's, Johnny Martyr actually photographed my wedding. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he's this cool. Guy, this guy is a little bit older gentleman. Uh, I'll think of his name here in a minute. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny Martyr, um, he's a huge Leica guy. I mean, he, him and his wife uh, work together shooting uh, professional, you know, weddings and such. She shoots mm-hmm. digital. He shoots Barnack Leicas, yep. you know. I mean, I know there's people that will do film on occasion to sort of supplement digital photography, but that's – he he bases his, his – I don't know how much of his living, but, I mean, he shoots – professional weddings on barnacks he's a madman i wouldn't do that on a bet have you seen some of his work though i mean he's <laughs> yeah he's, it's great he's i think he really uses FM, fm2s as well though maybe i don't know i know he's a huge like a fan and we had a whole discussion about a year and a half ago about how one time he had a soviet you know azorki or something and it was it was so garbage like so he's like <laughs> i won't that one experience ruined me from anything like Canon, like he wouldn't touch any other screw mount copies. So I just sent him three of them. I sent him a Zorky, a one that I happened to have that was in excellent shape, a Zorky three and my Canon four SB. And uh, he actually did a really good, he didn't actually shoot any of them, but he did a really good analysis. Like, like he's not ashamed to admit he's a Leica fanboy, And he went into this saying, all right, I'm going to do my best to be objective as possible. And he, I think he did a really good job, you know? He did, yeah. So I always thought that was interesting. Yeah. I think he had like two M3s the day of our wedding. That's all we did was film. We didn't do any digital. I mean, oh, I, really? I took my digital with me and took some pictures of family afterwards, but the whole thing was done on film. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw some. Blown away, yeah. Yeah, I saw some of the pictures from your wedding, Mark. It were, they were fantastic. So I got to shoot with an M3 for the first time when it, yeah. at the, at, after the actual ceremony, I was thinking, walking around, taking shots, like, you know what? I ought to probably mingle with people. So, so I did that article, uh, at, last, we recorded this podcast last Wednesday. And then the very next morning I pushed out my M3 versus Nikon SP. And surprisingly the initial reaction was, Oh, the SP is so much better Nikon for life. And it's like, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm a Nikon guy, you know, like I, I was part of that. I don't want to play with an M3 or, you know, like as are overrated kind of thing. But like, you know, when I actually just thought of specific categories, like what's important to me, you know, ergonomics viewfinder. I mean, it, it, it sounds cliche. Sometimes people get sick and tired of hearing about, you know, how good the M3 is, but there's a reason it's that good. You know, I mean, I have the, um, I still have this SP, this belongs to Bob Rotoloni. And I mean, this thing's mint. This is as nice Ooh, a one as, as you'll find. I mean, it's beautiful. That lens, awesome. 
that yeah. it's the F14. Um, I mean, I, you look through it and it's like brand new. Wow. You know, this this bottom plate is is in fantastic condition. But I tell you what, you look through the viewfinder and it's desilvered. You mm. know, the rangefinder patch is is vague. You know, even the other one, which I did for the site, um, you know, was um, was a little, you know, not bad. I mean, it was certainly usable, but it wasn't like crisp, like the, the Leicas typically are. And, and I know yeah. the camera is not impervious to, you know, problems, but, um, you know, it's, I mean, when you compare two great things, you know, you're going to, you're going to rub some people's feathers. But then I think it kind of balanced out after that article was live for a little bit where more of the Leica fans were like, yeah, you know, you kind of got it right. Um, but it's fun. And that, that post did really well. I got like, a crap load of hits on it. So I, I'm not going to complain about that either. So Mark, what, what have you gotten recently? You got anything new or I know you're kind of in, in stasis with uh, uh, the move. Recently the new, I went, there was a, that local uh, auction. They where we put in the bid on a couple of those little Kodak uh, pseudo TLRs. And I picked up this uh, Microma. So that was oh, okay. My, a little 16 yeah. millimeter. Nice. Yeah. Picked up that and then a uh, Minolta A as well. Sweet. Yeah, I've had one of those. I have the A, the Super A, which was the interchangeable lens range finder. Um, you know, those, you know, Minolta, I don't think. Super A. The Super A. Oh, we got we got some new new guests here. Um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of pretty much all the Minolta range finders. Probably the only one I, I wouldn't recommend is the 35, the, the kind of Leica version. I don't know what it is about those, but the shutters never work on them. Like, I have never seen... Uh, a, you know, a, a screw mount camera that more consistently has problems. Um, we just had two more people jump in here. Um, I'll start with uh, Mr. Dan Hausman. Uh, he's uh, a collector. He attends a lot of the Chicago through Cincinnati camera shows. Um, he's He's got an awesome collection. He, he specializes a lot in American cameras too. Um, I bought my Ektra from him for for a very fair price. Um, hey Dan. Hey. We got we got uh also Mr. Rick Olison too. Ooh. Um from you're in Kentucky, right, Rick? Yeah, Lexington. Lexington, Kentucky. So we're we're representing the Midwest here pretty good. You know, I guess the eastern the eastern half of the Midwest. But you know, Rick's a big fan of uh of American cameras too. You know, if if you can't be in this hobby uh, and Google a camera without stumbling upon something from from Rick's site, and I Johnny's nodding yes. Uh, <laughs> I had uh, talked to Rick. It's been about two years. Um, he was the very first person I interviewed for my site in my one hour photo se- series, and we just chatted about just random stuff. I mean, he he's a tinkerer. He can fix uh, a lot of different types of cameras. Plus, he makes the the bright screens for you know Roloflexes and. Uh, a lot of medium format cameras. So, so welcome, Rick. Thank you. So this is, this is just a fun podcast. Uh, this is the second one we've ever done. Uh, we decided, you know, as opposed to typical camera podcasts where um, it's kind of the same people that pick a topic, we just would, would get a bunch of people together in a room without any real script or um, specific topics and just sort of like it's like a radio call-in show and, and just see what anybody wants to talk about so um you like to live dangerously don't you yes exactly you never know what's going to happen 
<laughs> so y- you explained it to me before, Rick, but would you be willing to share the story about how you guys started making the bright screens? Yeah, it's uh, what happened was I had a, uh, a couple of uh, Pentacon 6s and practice 6s, that sort of thing. And this would have been, oh gosh, 2005, maybe. I came across an ad uh, on, on eBay where it said they had split image focusing screens for Pentagon 6. And so I thought, well, that sounds like a pretty good deal. And they were cheap. And so I went ahead and bought one. And I was really surprised when I got it because... The Pentagon 6 focusing screen is 51 millimeter square. And the thing that came in the mail was like 62 by 64. And it's thin and flat. And the brackets that hold the screen in a Pentagon don't come anywhere near it. And it came, I don't remember if it had instructions or if you had to email and ask a question. Then the, the guy said something about, well, if you cut a, eraser off of a pencil you can kind of stick it in here and and that'll help hold it down and and you just cut it until it's one of those kind of cut away everything that doesn't look like an elephant instructions and it occurred to me that I can do that but a typical photographer is not going to enjoy doing something like that so I bought these things by the box load from the guy and they were those Chinese uh, screens that you can get on eBay pretty cheap. And I would cut them. I made a bunch of fixtures and things and I'd cut them and scribe different line patterns on them and that sort of thing. And, and sell them for more than what I had paid for them. And basically I priced them at double what I had to pay so that if somebody wanted to cut their own, they were fine. And if they, if they succeeded on their first try, they were ahead. But if they screwed it up once, they would have been better off by on mine. And that's how it started. And one of my customers in, oh gosh, 10 years ago, maybe, um, told me that he knew somebody that had a better screen than what I was selling. And he'd like to get me together with with this person and and sell those screens because they were a better product and it turned out that was the bright screen and the guy who had run that company jim lakey had passed away in 2012 and his widow had a lot of old stock of the screens and she was selling those off on ebay so i started buying those and it was a better product those were the mold was made in Japan and, and all this old stock had been molded in Japan. And I started selling those and that worked out real well until uh, late 2017 when she sent me an email that said she was getting pretty close to running out of old stock. And, and it was going to work out just the time that I retired. I was, the thing was going to dry up on me. And so Turned out she had the mold in her garage. So I bought the mold and I've spent my life in as a product designer in plastics and things like that. So I knew a molder and I set the mold up in Ohio and put it back into production. And basically uh, that's kind of where we are now. I've, I've, I own the mold 
uh, I have a little CNC machine in my garage that does the cutting so I can do more or less any camera uh, that they'll physically fit into. And you do customizations like split, split, uh, split focus aids, diagonal focus aids, no focus aid, lines, right? I only have a couple of choices there. The, the focus aid is, is part of what's molded into the screen. Okay, okay. And I have two inserts. I've got one that will make a microprism center that's 13 millimeters in diameter. And then I have another insert that will make a diagonal split image, a six millimeter circle, and then with a 13 millimeter microprism collar around it, similar to what you'd see in most 35 millimeter SLRs, except that the, uh, the split image is set diagonally instead of horizontally. That's pretty cool. I can't do one with no focus aid. I don't have a mold for that. I got you. That's cool. Um, real quick, we had a couple more people join Vlad Kern from USSR Photo, uh, and we have Rob Jameson too. So we have a full house uh, of people. It's so, like it looks like the Brady Bunch on my yeah. screen. It's like it's like perfect tile. Yeah, Rick is Alice. He's he's in the middle. <laughs> if if there was a way we could coordinate and like look at each other, like I could be looking at Johnny. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wait, does that make me the mom? Uh, I, see the thing about zoom is i think it puts different people in different orders so i, I don't I, think what we what i where i'm at on, on my screen i don't think i'm in the same for you so that means everyone is actually greg yeah yeah correct yeah i i wasn't it that the mom and dad were in the middle above and below alice and then the kids are on each side wasn't yeah, that i think was? so yeah <laughs> i get it i get confused now with uh that and who was on hollywood squares in each square it's it's so hard being old. It's just you know, yeah, yeah. So uh, Vlad, um, God, I just love. I mean, <laughs> that is. We, we were just talking about uh, Mark Faulkner here um, is moving or just moved, and he had to pack up his whole collection. And Johnny is is about to move, so he imminently left to pack up his collection. But uh, I just uh, I I'm in awe every time I see Vlad's collection there. <laughs> The great thing about Vlad's collection is, like, you think you have a problem, and then you look at a picture right. of the collection, and really, you realize you, you haven't even plumbed the depth. I, I like how Vlad, it looks like you're on a green screen. Like, there can't yeah. possibly be that many real cameras. I know. So, yeah. It looks, it looks, yeah. it looks like he, he faked that, but that I've been there, man. I mean, Vlad's yeah. been there, and I know you've made some changes since since we've even been up there, but uh, oh, it's, it's so impressive. <laughs> that was like Q and James Bond for cameras and, and he's got it in a nice like I mean he'll keep all his Zenits together he'll keep all his Leningrads together you know yeah. uh, you know it just it, it's it's in it's in a nice order too so like if you're interested in any one particular type of Soviet camera you just Amazing. stand in front of that cabinet and you can kind of see all the different models and and it's just it's so impressive and um you know i was talking about my cinder block and wood shelves uh vlad <laughs> those are the billy shelves right the ikea billy uh, yeah, shelves those are the billies i i had a setup like you might before and uh i kind of start title dusting it so that's something yeah point, you pack, it all, pack it all up and that was a lot of work and but I looked, <laughs> I priced not, now I don't have nearly as many as Vlad does, but I looked, I priced what it would cost to get a couple billies. And, and when you get the billy from Ikea, it doesn't come with the doors. Those are separate. So you got to buy the doors separately too. But I priced out just to do this. I mean, it, it, I don't know. That's about 11 feet. 
maybe. So I have a typical basement height, 11 feet wide. And it was going to be like 850 bucks just for that. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I have 12 full size billies with uh, like a top additions and wow. all the doors. Yeah. It's, it was quite an investment. I mean, I had to redo the whole floor just to accommodate the collection. So, well, and you, he has LED lighting at every shelf too. So you got yeah. all the wires and he did a really good job with cable management. It's like, you can't see the, the, the cables or anything. Yeah. yeah that that nice. took a, that took a lot. I mean, I put those color LEDs on the ones you can kind of switch it's, the remote. It's flawless. It's, a, yeah, it's amazing. It, it really is. is. Yeah. Well, I'm running out of space. That's the, that's the biggest problem. I mean, no matter how much space you have, uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to cram. I got I got a smana yesterday. I'm looking at my smana shelf, and they're like, "There's no way I can fit this one." So I have this one just sitting at my desk, and I'm just like thinking and thinking for the last 48 hours, how am I going to fit that? Thing? Yeah. You do use all of those cameras regularly, right? Well, um, I used to when I had about 150 of them. Uh, when you're over a thousand, uh, pretty much there's no way you can use them. So I mean, I start oh, come on. Pick it up. Don't be lazy. <laughs> I, from time to time, I do. I, I picked up an Airx TF, actually. Uh, that's the 88CM, uh, 6x6. And that's just uh, an amazing camera. I shot a wedding with it. Uh, my brother was wedding, and uh, the pictures came out awesome. The lens is great on it. So uh, these, these guys in uh, Kiev, uh, Ukraine, they do an excellent job of publishing these. I mean, it has, like, uh, the, the MOU, the, the mirror lockup, and has all the bells and whistles they they close uh shutter finally instead of this crappy foil one uh it's it's a really uh nice uh camera it's like it feels really nice too i mean they the way if you, if you pick up an original 88 and this one it's just like you can wow. literally tell a difference when once you start winding it up and it's, yeah this is like more like Hasselblad. So, so so vlad you know to build a collection like he has i mean he couldn't possibly get all that stuff on ebay but you have contacts uh, in, in Russia and overseas where like, you'll just kind of make a list of things for them to look out for. And once they have like a big enough package, they just create it up and ship it to you. Oh, that- mostly, yeah. I have a few people uh, in different countries that kind of get a big package together for me and uh, different people reach out. I mean, it's a network of people basically. <laughs> I really yeah. wanted, I wanted a Rubin one, which was the Soviet version of the Fotlander Zumar, the early zoom lens. Um, they originally had made it for the, was it the Zenit four or five and six? For it, yeah, six, on six yeah. On the six, but it had, it came with a DKL mount. Um, wow. And, you know, it, unless you have another DKL mount camera to mount it to, it's, it's hard to adapt that. Uh, but it, it, be, it has become common for people to Jimmy rig an M42 screw mount on those old Ruben ones. Hmm. So I just, I kind of like just, I, I mentioned it to, to Vlad in passing, say, you know, if you ever stumble across one of those sometime, you know, just let me know. And like the next day, he's like, I got one for you. <laughs> I was like, really? He's like, yeah, here's, here's what they want for it. And the price was really reasonable. And, but for me to, to get it shipped from that guy to me would have been prohibitive. So he's just like, well, I have to broker it through somebody I know, then they'll get it in Russia. And then once my next crate comes over the boat, uh, you know, I'll just, you just let me know and I'll meet up with you. And, and that's ended up. So I took a couple months to get to me, but it's, it's, it's an, a huge lens. I mean, it's, I think it uses an 82 millimeter screw filter mount up front. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like a mirror lens, but it's not. Um, Is it somewhere yeah, collecting dust right now? 
Um, I'm trying to see if I can. Oh wait, I can see it right here. You you just shot one roll with it though, and, and you weren't very it. impressed from what I remember. I shot um one roll on a Zenit, uh, but I did mount it at, um digital. No, this is not. This is uh, what is this? No, Flectagon. It's way too small for it. Flectagon. I don't know where it is now. It's somewhere. That is a huge lens. That's yeah. like your. That's a lens like you're overcompensating for something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nothing compared to the MTO 1000. If you watch out with that thing, and I have. Old I've got one of those. Yeah. I have the MTO 500, um, and I got the wooden box that it comes in, where it's got all the different slide and filters. Right. Uh, and those are actually really good. I was really impressed with the quality from that. Oh, it's um, a great lens too. The thousand is also very nice. And yeah. Shot the moon with it. It's awesome. But that's pretty yeah. much the only application for it. I just shot the moon with it. Yeah, you can what shoot the moon. Shoot with it? <laughs> there's there's a water tower like half a mile behind my house. I was able to read like the warning sticker on the, <laughs> the stairs going up up to the top of it from my backyard. I know. I guess if you're in Alaska, you can shoot Russia with it. Yeah. <laughs> Thing I can think of, it's useful <laughs> for. Otherwise, it's just sitting there. It's looking very heavy. Um, yeah, with the 1000, I've had a so, hard time finding a tripod that will actually stabilize it well enough to take any decent shots. Yeah, they're heavy. You yeah. need to get the kind that's got the, the weight that dangles to kind of yeah, like. I, I found in a, in a Chicago camera shop, I found like a, it was like a cast iron, some man proto from like 1950s. That thing's like just, wow. just not for travel uh, <laughs> and i use that and it's, it's i still got some shake on it but yeah it, the only problem was uh, i i used it with like an old night and digital bodies and uh, that one actually it was a crop too so that one actually uh made it like 1500 uh millimeters so that was pretty nice magnification but the um the the uh flash on the night will let me like screw it in all the way because it's that thing is so flush. I mean, this the mount is almost like right on the. Uh, it's flush with the back of the lens. It's really hard to put that lens on. I mean, it's, it looks yeah. absolutely ridiculous too. It's like a big, big, big <laughs> whiskey barrel that you attach to a camera. Oh. It's really. <laughs> is that what? What is that? The the Koa lens? What is that, Anthony? What am I looking at? Oh yeah, mute. Oh, Anthony. that's the Foltlander. The the yeah. big the three hundred millimeter. It's the Super Dynorex uh, 350. Uh, which one is this? The 350 5.6. So that's on a leaf shutter SLR. What's the, <laughs> what is the minimum focus distance on that thing? The minimum focus distance on the Super Dynorex is 90 feet. 90 feet. <laughs> it's 90 feet is the minimum focus distance. And what's crazy is you uh, have to do critical focus at a mile. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I tried. Can... I tried focusing on some horses down the down the hill from me. Yeah, you and, set that uh, thing to infinity and point it away, and you're not going to get anything in focus. Not unless you're like <laughs> on a rooftop in Berlin and you're looking across the wall at you know some office building, uh, which is really I think I I can't imagine this is used for anything but architecture. Well, uh, and, and when but, you do find those, because you got that one in like mint condition, right? Absolutely, with the yeah, cases. I, yeah. I think they're all in mint condition because nobody used them. <laughs> yeah, look at the filter size on that. That's big. But uh, yeah, I tried using it for some wildlife shoots and it's just, it's an absolute exercise in frustration because, I mean, you have to be farther than 90 feet to try to focus it. Gosh, that's crazy. It's really, it's really, really difficult. It's beautiful lens. It renders beautifully. It's got, you know, beautiful uh, out of focus field. 
uh, it's a lovely lens, but pain in the ass. Yeah, that you, you could add that to the list of reasons why like leaf shutter SLRs just aren't ideal anymore to mm-hmm. shoot. You know, like even <laughs> even like the one thirty five is like a minimum focus is still like twenty feet. Yeah, it's and, like a and, more reasonable. And you have to you have to tripod mount this. There's just yeah. no way you're going to handhold this thing and focus at you know three quarters of a mile. <laughs> so let me do the calculations on it. Ninety feet. That's thirty meters, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Holy so, crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, and when I, if, if I recall when Anthony got it, he's like, dude, this thing has a 30 foot minimum focus. I'm like, Oh wow. That's a lot. And then like the next day he's like, I, that's meters. Sorry. I meant to say meters. And I was like, Oh <laughs> shit. It's 90 feet. Cause I was like 30 was crazy, but he was, that was 30 meters. <laughs> so let me, let, let me throw a question out to the group. Uh, you know, we were talking about Soviet cameras and, you know, there's so many great resources out there like Vlad's site, you know, Soviet cams. You know, I've reviewed quite a number of Soviet cameras. Uh, but, you know, if you go back to like the pre-digital days, the 70s, 80s and 90s, you know, Western countries had this really snobbish attitude towards Soviet cameras as them being like inferior. And, and I think sometimes you still today even run into some of the real old timers that have a, a really negative attitude about Soviet gear. Do you do you think that... um in recent years, the internet has sort of like upped sort of the, the reputation of a lot of Soviet cameras. I mean, are they, are there a lot more people you think willing to to try them out like the fed twos and, and, and different things, or do you think there's still a lot of people that just, they, they have no interest in them? I'll say for me, this is Robbie. Um, like as I got into, cause I only got into film, film photography about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think at first it was like, you look at some of the prices of things like Leica's and Leica lenses and stuff, and they're just sort of astronomical. And then when you think about more affordable stuff, you, you tend to look at, at least you're getting into it, you tend to look at Soviet stuff. But then, at least for me, when I looked at it, it was like, I don't know what's good and what's not. And there's so many different lenses and yeah. what's good and what's not. And you see stuff online and they render beautifully. And yeah. then you hear stuff like, especially with Jupiter's and stuff, it's like, you get a good copy or not. And so I, I don't really think of it in terms of like, I think there's definitely like people look at it for, there, there are great buys there, but I think there's a little bit more of like, if you get a Canon lens or a Nikon lens or a, or a light or a Leica lens or, yeah. size, you know, you're going to, you know, the quality is definitely going to be there. It's not going to be an issue. Um, but I, I will say like for the Soviet cameras that I have, and I wanted to thank Vlad actually, cause I was, I, I got into panoramic photography and um, I got a Horizon, which is a swing lens, um, Russian, uh, it's it, the lens that's in a barrel and it swings. So it gives you a panorama, but the lens swings. And uh, I wrote Vlad, I was like, oh, <laughs> so I wrote Vlad and I was like, um, hey, it's really hard to find the filters for these. If you Do you know how to get one of those? And like about a month later, he sent me a link and he a link to one that had a filter with it. And so I picked it up, took the filter and I gave the camera body to Johnny. So, um, but I also- how do, you put, have, how do you put a filter on a Horizon? Do you have to like half open it up and shove it in there? It's like a little tab. Yeah. Okay. It's got, it's got a little tab on it. Like it, it's very similar. I don't have a filter for my um, wide lux, but I think it's pretty Careful with that one, Mike. So you just, do you just shove it in there? Is that how it goes or what? Or does it cover the whole thing? 
Yeah, it's it, it it yeah. I've got to go. It's over on my shelf, but it 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 sits in like you you. There's a little like L shaped tab, and then you stick it in. So it actually okay. sits right over the lens, and there's a tab that sticks out like an L shape outside of the barrel. That's cool. But I've got to say, quality wise, I mean, it's like I I then I then got really into it. I picked up a wide lux, and other I, there's no difference to me in the quality of the the images. I think the the wide lux lets, has a slightly better minimum focus. So it's easier to do those Jeff Bridges selfies. But other than that, the images on them are probably great. Right? Yeah, the, the original one I shot was the metal one, the Horizon, the Horizons, what, what they called, what they call them originally. So uh, it had a problem that uh, the, the rightmost edge would be like out of focus a little bit. So I think there was like a problem with like a calibration of some kind of uh, roller on the, on the side of the, that would like, wouldn't let the film stick to the plane it's supposed to be on. Um, and actually, I've seen that on a few more horizons. I don't know. I don't know why, but the the, more, the best experience I got on the tour too, though it's it's, it's very cheap looking and plasticky, but it's I, I like it because it's light and it's like kind of like a workhorse. I mean, it's 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 in between the very latest one and the very old one, so it's kind of like a best of both worlds. It has like a nice uh, collection of like shutter speeds. Um, I found it to be the most reliable one out of all of them. I actually shot a few of them. Um, I, I took them onto a few trips. It's, it's a fun little camera. I know Johnny shot the FT2. That's hardcore. Yeah, uh, we were talking about that last week. And, you know, Johnny's, the first one he got, a previous owner had modded it and added all these upgrades to it that yeah. he didn't realize wasn't normal until he got a second one. Right. Was it like a syringe, uh, syringe uh, cassettes on this or you had the real ones? No, I, it has the real cassettes. Um, it's just he had he had literally had a, like a fabricated aluminum insert that was machined to change the minimum focus distance. I think he was, all I can figure is this guy must've been shooting like group photos no and he problem. needed to get the minimum fo- focus distance closer than like 20 feet. Cause it's like 20 or 25 feet, you know, like it's like four meters, five meters. So he, he made it closer and that's all I can figure because I mean, it, it's so specific, you know, uh, but he had modded all sorts. There's like all sorts of, uh, parts that are burnished so that the film feeds better. I mean, somebody had really knew that camera inside and out, you know? I, I meant to bring this up last week when we were talking about the Tokarev, but I got this book. Um, it's called Tibet by Jaroslav oh, yeah. Pankar. And yeah. if you guys can see this, it is all images shot on a Tokarev. That's wow. a Lamography book? Say that again? Is that a Lamography uh, produced book? I don't think so. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Mike, how much well, was it? Was it expensive? Uh, it was a gift. Uh, it was just sent to me. Kurt Ingham um, had it. And I don't know if he bought it for me specifically or just thought I'd find it interesting. But I mean, if you look practically every page, he's got color film. Wow. Uh, and then there's a, like a paragraph or two about where he's at. And I mean, some of these pictures are, are you know, the 80s, 1986, the, mostly 90s. It seems to be like this guy traveled Tibet apparently, yeah. and that's all he shot was was panoramics on this. And I mean, they enlarge it really well. Like, I mean, I could frame that, yeah, and and it looks really neat. So, what, I'm gonna about, what are those about thirty six inches or? They're one hundred and ten or one hundred eight millimeters wide. So it's yep. basically each exposure is three frames. Mm-hmm. So in a thirty six exposure roll of film, you get twelve images. 
Mm-hmm. The thing yeah. I love about those cameras, and I know I know Johnny, I asked him about this on his Tokarev. The thing I, I love about those is nobody knows when you're out shooting it. They have yeah. no idea it's a camera. They, oh, think yeah. it's like, they think it's some radiological detector or something you're holding. They have no clue it's a camera. Yeah. No. Yeah. So my, it's just a box. Yeah. But, you were asking about, you know, Soviet cameras back in back in the day. And in, in 1989, I, I piggybacked on a grant to travel through Eastern Europe to try to document the, the fall of the different uh, post-Soviet regimes. And uh, so I was in East Berlin, East Germany, uh, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Hungary. Uh, I couldn't go to a few places because of some of the violence that was going on. And I'd taken my FM2 and I'd taken electrical tape and blacked it out because I didn't want to be conspicuous shooting a Nikon in some of these places. And I took an XA because I wanted something that was as small and pocketable as I could take. But the moment I got into East Berlin, I bought an Agat 18K and ended up shooting that camera more than anything that I brought, which was also great because I could only carry so much film. And I'd never shot half frame before and thought, oh, you know, this will be useful. And uh, when I came back to the States, I actually had a, a couple of gallery shows. And of all the cameras that I took and all the film that I shot, uh, the Agate 18 is what I uh, printed for almost every gallery show I did. That's hilarious. It's like uh-huh. one step above a toy camera. You know what I mean? But what's, it, that, what's, what's amazing it, it, is that that thing great. has a, a really good lens. It does. Yeah. I mean, it, it is... It is a piece of plastic, like it, like Johnny said, it is a step up from a toy. But boy, you get some nice shots from those. Oh, it feels like it's going to break apart when you when you try <laughs> it to film in. Yeah, no, it's, like, it's, it's like the, it's the like spools a are kind of like wide and slim. They like wobble oh. around when you're trying, like loading film is just sort of like hope and pray. You know, you're just kind of shoving it back together. It's like, should I put tape? around it to keep light leaks out <laughs> but it works yeah oh, it, really it just does. works it's i mean I, I was in prague for havel's election and you know shooting with that camera i could just go anywhere and you know never got hassled never you know nobody raised an eyebrow when i had that camera out and it's just a, it was a very useful camera and I, I fell in love with it you know it's amazing and i had mine for quite a while before i realized it has a hot shoe it, it, there's actually a tiny little cap that pops open. And there's a little hot shoe in there. So I could imagine someone with it, with an agate and a big, huge, like Nikon speed flash on it or something. You know, it's a kid's camera, right? It was made a kid's for, camera. Yeah. It was made for like uh, school uh, children. Totally makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There it is. Nice. But they, you know, well, they're nice. Yeah, Smana 8M also has awesome lines and here. Yeah. It's razor sharp. Uh, it's also very light. I mean, it's a, it's definitely it's de- bigger than the iGuide, but if you... I tell you, want, you what, cheap one. you get a, any Soviet camera with a triplet on it, it's going to make some nice images. You know, I mean, the, I, have, I don't have the 8M, but I have just the regular Smana 8. And, you know, I've shot a couple, you know, just real basic cameras. And usually the three element Soviet lenses are really good. Yeah, I mean, not, not that's not to say their other ones aren't either, but I'm just saying, like, y- you get this plastic Smena camera, you know, uh, but it's going to make some nice image. I actually had somebody, I don't know if they were, like, accusing me or just questioning, but when I posted my Smena 8 review, they're like, did you really shoot these pictures on this camera? I was like, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, you know, early on when I did my reviews, I wouldn't do the mirror selfie, but I've tried to start incorporating that into every role I do just as kind of proof that I really shot that camera. <laughs> You know, I mean, you know, I, I was shooting a Fed Micron all last week, and again, really nice images. Yeah, yeah. 
The uh, the square one, the round one, or the pre-series one. There's so many different variations of it. Let me go grab it. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been we've we've had a lot of Soviet love. Um, another country whose cameras are often disrespected are, are the grand old United States of America. So uh, Dan has got a big smile on his face. He's he's probably one of the biggest. American camera collectors that I know. I mean, you you do have some non-American stuff, right, Dan? Yes, although I'm I'm slowly deacquisitioning. Yeah, yeah. He's got an impressive collection. He's got a lot of really rare stuff. You know, like the early pre-Leica 35 millimeter cameras. Uh, what is it? The QRS Devry camera. I've got the QRS, the uh, Ellison Hollywood, uh, the. Um, the uh, tourist multiple. Tourist multiple. You have a couple, though. Yeah. You have multiple tourist yeah. multiples. Yes. And uh, um, one of these days, I'm going to get one of those from your claws, and I'm going to do a proper review of one. Yeah. But uh, uh, so far, all I've done was a Kepler's Vault, where somebody actually used a tourist multiple, this is back in the 1960s, and took a picture of the guy who made it with a tourist multiple. Really? But it, those things had, like, what, a Zeiss lens or something? Or wasn't yes. that... They had size lenses, um, just a t- ton of innovation for an early, early American camera. Yeah. Um, really impressive. Yeah. I'm on a quest for a simplex, of course. Yeah. Uh, I found a lens that had gotten separated somewhere along the line. Uh, and uh, I also found they built two cameras on the same chassis. Uh, they built the, the, uh, the simplex, which was, you know, 35 millimeter, uh, you know, movie frame size camera. And they also built what they called the Alamo uh, uh, motion picture camera, uh, which was the same uh, body casting, but with, you know, hand cranks, you could do, you know, movies with it. Um, and I actually, I found one of those uh, sans lens, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> I think there's only five of those currently known, um, on the, you know, the simplex still. So there was an American made camera. I'm trying to remember what it was called, but it was a stereo camera. I think the company was based out of Milwaukee and they made these really ornate metal and leather stereo cameras. Can, does that ring a bell? Do you know what I'm talking about? Was it the Contura? That's it. Yeah, the Contura. Yeah, Do you have any of those? They only, they only made 100 of them. 100 of them. Yeah, they're uh, really rare. The, the, the company went bust, and the only people that got one were as some small compensation to the investors is they got a camera. Uh, oh, wow. So, <laughs> yeah, there's only 100 of them out there. Have you ever seen one, Rick? A Contura? Have I ever seen one? Yeah, the it's a it's a stereo camera made by a company out of Milwaukee. Dan says they only made a hundred of them before they went out of business. They're they're real no, pretty. No, okay, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many. Like you know, you could dig into almost any country's history. You know, Japan. You know, I mean, Czechoslovakia had you know the optic cameras. You know, Eng- even England had a, had a camera industry for a while. Italy. You know, I got a. a uh, Ferrania Condor, you know, I did the review on the Rectiflex. Uh, but the American camera industry is 
practically as old as the German one. I mean, they started in those very early days and there were so many like innovative companies and designs that just, you know, just petered out, you know, Kodak became, you know, the big American company, you know, they, they use a lot of like woolen sack lenses, um, you know, and, and it's just Argus was, was big of course, but they never really aimed very high. Um, and I, you know, I have the, uh, the, the Carden, you know, the premier Carden, which was the American Leica, but there's, you know, there weren't many American cameras like that. And, you know, most people think of, you know, like a, a, a Kodak pony, you know, when you think of an American mid-century camera or some brownie or something like that. But when you get into the early half of the 20th century, there's a ton of really cool, you know, pioneering designs that just unfortunately never took off. Americans, once the war started, they were good at making big things, not small things. I have to say, though, if you ever see uh, Dan, you have to see Dan at the camera show because, I mean, anytime he has a spread, I mean, this is like, I spend the most at his table because it's it's basically, uh, it's like, it's, he has the most unique stuff out of all the sellers. I mean, it's like, I, I basically, it's like a little piece of, like, of, of museum over there. Yeah. So it's uh, like, I've never seen like, never seen cameras that exotic, I guess. <laughs> That and like in and, and American, I mean, it's it's definitely uh, worth worth a visit. Camera show, I think. Uh, Dan, you're in Chicago. Uh, you come to Chicago show. Where else do you do? You do Indiana. Uh, well, you know, Mike and I run the Indianapolis show, the um, Cincinnati show, and the Pittsburgh show, uh, oh. and then uh, the Ohio Camera Collector Society that I'm the president of. We have our show here in Columbus, and actually, we've got our big auction uh, on uh, Friday. Uh, oh, this week? Yes. Normally, Sweet. I would I would uh, have been broadcasting from my office, but it's it's piled chest high with boxes of stuff right now, so I can't I can't I can open the door and sort of look in there. Yeah. Um, well, send Johnny a link, and he'll include it in the show notes when we post it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I don't but, know how uh, much how much time will will be between tomorrow and Friday. Right, <laughs> promote if, it, but yeah, there's uh, a lot of the pictures are on uh, our Facebook page uh, on the Ohio Camera Collector Society, uh, and I have a, uh, a downloadable PDF of all the stuff that's available. Uh, there's some really stuff i've never seen before i mean i've been doing i've been in the camera business for one end to the other since the late 70s and there's stuff that i've just i've never seen yeah you guys i've seen some of your previous auctions and there's some really cool stuff there i mean this isn't this isn't like a whole bunch of you know uh canon ones you know and some point and shoots i mean there's some rare stuff that, that that you guys seem to get so are these just other collectors unloading stuff? I mean, like, where do you guys get this stuff yeah, from? Yeah, uh, you know, unfortunately, some of it's the estates of, you know, some of our members. Uh, we have the collection of one uh, member this year who exclusively collected Kodak uh, color cameras. So, you know, the rainbow cameras, the petites, the, mm-hmm. you know, all the different um you know, folding cameras that were the Art Deco uh, ones designed to appeal to the ladies. Wow, and, yeah. Um, and then uh, another one from uh, another collector from uh, uh, Kentucky who's uh, downsizing, and he's been collecting since the probably the 60s 
and just has some amazing stuff. Is so. is the collector Mrs. Olison? Uh, <laughs> is, it Rick's, is it Rick's wife? He, no, he she said know. he's not. She said he's not dead yet. So. <laughs> but she's working on it. Yeah. <laughs> How big is your collection, Rick? I mean, do you have a lot of cameras there? Um, I have been downsizing. I've yeah. got about 125, 130 right now. I think uh, I had had a little over 200. And um, there's a very nice fellow from uh, Midwest Photo Exchange that's come down to my house a couple of times and helped uh, mm. help me thin things out a little bit. Um, and every, every once in a while, I kind of wish some piece or another hadn't got thinned, but yeah, um, you know, that's, that's sort of the way it goes. Yeah. Um, but it, I only have room for so much. I yeah. I had got to where I had cameras on the floor and I don't have you know nice glass front cabinets covering entire walls and that sort of thing. So um it kind of got to where there's only so much I can really maintain and support. Um and I keep wanting to get new ones. So to make room for the new ones, I sort of have do you have do you have a, like one for every new camera you have to get rid of one rule for yourself or do you make exceptions um it's it's kind of gotten to that point yeah, yeah if, if i if i get something new it's not necessarily one for one but i can't add too much without making room somehow has has everybody had that like moment of weakness where you just stop and think <laughs> what the hell have i done like is that normal i i i assume it no anthony no i mean i well okay tell you what uh mark and johnny having this move i think if you try to move that's that's when that happens when you have to actually face your fears and package this stuff up you're like why did i do this exactly the thing the thing is that every time you start to think that way you then find a different type of collection or branch of collection yeah. to actually get into. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the, um, you know, the industries in different countries and so on before not many people collect Australian cameras. Ah, there you and, go. Uh, <laughs> there you go. And um, this is an old Austral from probably about 1915 or so. Oh, that's cool. Wow. And um, that was, they actually got bought out and became Kodak Australia. Huh. Uh, that's not surprising. Yeah. yeah. So um that's cool. That, that's that a beautiful is really camera. Cool. Yeah, is that a, beautiful. Is, is that a one sixteen? What does that use? Uh one sixteen. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it looks bigger than one twenty. It is. It's much bigger than one twenty. God, I can uh, spot I can spot the film format through a tiny ass zoom window and a pretty <laughs> Brady bunch for 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 everybody picturing the Brady Bunch and Joe uh, Theo is in the upper left hand corner for me. Like, the, the thing with this one though is um uh, you know, Australian ingenuity that, straight away a selfie window, a self, uh, selfie mirror. Right on okay. the camera. Oh neat, neat. It's a <laughs> selfie cam. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that, an Australian camera supposed to have the viewfinder on the bottom though? Upside down. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but we actually wind in a different direction. <laughs> how, many, how many Australian cameras were there, though? Sorry. How many Australian cameras were there? Oh, there's a few. Hamanex um, 
did come quite big, but they rebranded a lot. Right. I do have um I do have a shelf of cameras. It's, it's not like the USSR collection behind you there. Um, I have one shelf with three. But they or four had a Zenit too. Did, and, wasn't there a Zenit rebranded as a Hanamax? Oh yeah, global. Yeah, yeah, they did. They did a lot of those, but um, a lot of the, a lot of the Australian ones weren't, weren't particularly, you know, the, the top end stuff. You you ended up with, um, modest uh, stuff. But it, yeah. it seems that most of them were manufactured in uh, the first half of the 20th century versus. They the were. Century. They were. Um, about the 1950s or so, um, they they sort of stopped. I mean, you you got a few of the little. You know, oh, the boy ones. That's a Dalka, okay, um, which was made in Sydney, I believe. This one, Ooh. that one, the Swift Shot um, box camera, okay. Um, back in, and then you you have the the, the Sportsman uh, Sports Shot ACMA, which stands for Australian Camera Manufacturing or something. That looks cool. It's one of those. Yeah, oh. that, that is pretty cool. Is Shoots it six by, by six, six? Um, six by nine. Six by nine. Um, okay, but it's also six twenty and one twenty film. Does okay, both, I got a couple um, of those. It looks like yeah. a Polaroid almost, like just shape wise. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's what's so great about this hobby that I love, and I tell this to so many people is there's the the camera collecting. You know, the the whole history is just so fascinating. There's so many countries that did it. You know, and everybody had you know their own way of doing things. You know, there were a lot. Sure, there were a lot of copies too. But, you know, they're, you know, just like the Rectiflex was an Italian lawyer that just said, I'm going to make a camera, you mm-hmm. know, and, and Flexoret, you know, I mean, I'd never heard of, of 75% of the camera companies I'd never heard of before I started collecting, probably even higher than that. And, and that's why I like the history so much, you know, I mean, not, not to, to, to promote my site or anything, but where I think I stand different from some of the other camera blog sites is I, I really care more about the history, you know, to me, like the actual results I get from a camera are always at the end of my reviews, you know, and I don't spend as much time on it, but I love the history. And, you know, when I, when I have, um, a camera that I want to review the ones, the reviews that I get through the fastest are the ones that have the best stories. You know, when I, when I did uh, my first uh, KW, the, it was the Practina review, uh, which, you know, KW story is it was started by two, you know, Jewish Germans uh, that had to flee Germany prior to world war one. Uh, one of them had a contact with a guy in Detroit named Charles Noble. Uh, you know, he, he traded basically his whole company for a, a camera store in Detroit. And the guy, you know, in, in Germany just wanted to get out of the country. And the American was like, hell yeah, I get my own camera factory. Well, you know, of course the war happened and, you know, his, his company was like um, seized by the Soviets when the war was over. So it's the Nazis. When the war was over, the Soviets came in and, you know, the Red Army basically said, you're going to do what we're going to do. And for one reason or another, they decided he was a spy. They sent him and his son into the gulags, you know, and they separated them. The younger son went up to um, Varkuta. I think that's what it's called, uh, which was like the, the worst of the gulags, I guess. And he he smuggled out like a, a distress letter on the back of some mail on the mail room that made it to West Germany. I mean, it was like something out of a Liam Neeson movie, you know, but like I did that review and I just started reading and reading and reading. And I was like, this is really cool you know and and i mean you know not every camera has a story quite like that but uh you know the carden um you know dan lent me his 
you know, the Carden book right here. You know, I have to send this back to we, I, Dan, we had a whole discussion last week about how I suck at sending things back. So you'll be getting this soon. Thanks. Um, but, but this book is, you know, basically this guy, this is hilarious. It's a really hard book to find, but the dude that wrote this is like, what did he say? The, 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 the man who, who Peter Carden was like a Patriot, like 8,000 times in this book, you know, um, it, it like you could he tell must he have like, wanted to marry into the family. Or yeah, something. he had like a man crush on this dude. But it's it's a really cool book. You know how um, John Glenn, you know, is famous as an astronaut. But prior to him being in the space program, he was an Air Force pilot, and he went to Peter Carden and said, "Look, we need a camera that we could use in basically Siberia." You know, as as great as the Leica was, it would freeze up when it got too cold. So they basically said, you need to design a camera that's mold resistant, works at negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit and up to 150 degrees Fahrenheit. And this this guy just said, OK, I'll do it. You know, and I mean, just there, there's just so many cool stories like that that I think make this hobby so rich. You know, so Theo's showing off his Australian cameras and, you know, Vlad's got these amazing you know, a Soviet collection. And Dan is just so big on, you know, all these really obscure American cameras, you know, and the rest of us just kind of have a little bit of everything, but, you know, there's just, there's just so many cool stories in this hobby that, um, that I just, that's probably my, it's, it's not the pictures they make. I mean, yeah, of course I like the pictures, but that's not what really gets me really excited about this hobby. Mike, that was makes you a collector, though. You're more of a collector spectrum than on the user spectrum. I think so. I, I mean, I, I do yeah, use, you know, most, pretty much everything you see here either works or can work. Like, maybe it's got a dead meter or, you know, not every speed fires properly, but at least it can be shot. Like, I don't keep too many cameras that don't work unless it's something just really cool. Um yeah, I think that's important because I, I tend to um, I tend to live with cameras that I want to write about as well for quite a while. I don't necessarily just collect for the sake of putting them up on the shelf. I do work through them, but I, I try and live with the camera for a while as well. I don't want to I don't want it to be just like you know try it once or twice and that's it. I got this recently. This is an Ihegi. It's called a S E R I E N reflex. Oh, wow. So Siren reflex. The shutter. Uh, well, technically works, but the viewfinder, the ground glass is still good. You can still see through it, except it has one problem. The whole side of the camera is missing, and, and that's the shutter. So, like, it's missing one whole part of the camera, but it looks cool from the front. So something like this I'll keep. You know, it makes kind of a neat display, but, you know, I mean, that's that's the shutter curtain. It's just So, Mike, that falls in the hipster category. That's, a, that's something that looks really cool but doesn't work. Yeah, I know. But I will say I have very few of those, though. Speaking of looks cool and doesn't work, Petri oh, in Petri. the house. <laughs> <laughs> that could be like their slogan, Petri. Looks cool, it looks doesn't cool, work. doesn't work. <laughs> I don't think I have a single one of those that actually has taken a single shot. Yeah. I, actually, I, I've got one. It's funny. The, the one that I have that definitely works was sitting in uh, a, a bin at Central Camera for like, 15 20 years because nobody wanted to get it fixed because they couldn't sell it and make any money off it and they finally got it fixed and it went out on the shelf and i was like mine (laughs) and it actually works and i've shot a ton of film through it and it's great i mean it's a beautiful i will caution you if you get a working petri the green omatics and you get one that actually works it's gonna piss you off because they are really nice to use and it just makes you angry that so many of them are broken yeah damn it 
Yeah, that's this model. Um, yeah, it's sort of like the last hurrah. Like th- yeah. these are really good cameras, but that right after this is when they kind of went really downhill in terms of quality. But these these are great. They tend to be well close to working. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> earlier I have a Curry Biashi, which was what Petri was prior to Petri. Couple of their folders that work really well. Um, you know, Petri in many ways was really close to Miranda. You know, Miranda's earlier cameras are actually really nice. You know, they look good. They have like a nice chrome finish, you know, that they had the Saligor lenses, which are really nice. But they hit a point in the 60s where quality just went complete nosedive. I, you know? If you do you want it? Do you want a Miranda story? Sure. Well, I've got a really good I got go a really it. good one. Um, uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Bob Chin, who used to work at Central Camera for years, years and years and years. Um, he had a friend who apparently worked for Miranda, uh, and this is back in the sixties and he, and they needed to do a, you know, a brochure or something where all photos and everything. And, and he actually shot them all because his Miranda wasn't working. He shot them all with a Leica <laughs> and they were, they were like, wow, these pictures look really great. And he's like, yeah, yeah. So they weren't even shot on a Miranda. I had this joke uh, of the Miranda curse where like the first like six Mirandas I had all were broken. <laughs> right. And it was, it was something different on all of them. It wasn't ever once the same problem. And Mark on here had gotten a Miranda and I'm like, dude, you're just tempting fate. He's like, no, it'll be fine. Sure as shit. His didn't work either. Didn't it take you like three tries or something to get one that worked? Yeah, it, 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 the first one ate like you know two rolls of film in a row, and then the shutter jammed. Yeah. And the second one had light, severe light leaks, and shutter jammed. And then finally, the Miranda D I've got now actually works and produces nice images. But it's frustrating because they, they almost work. And yeah. then you're like, oh, this is great. Or the one time also, I just forgot to put film in the darn thing. I was so was, yeah. Like, oh, this, the, is, this is going the, real smooth. This is great. The like, Miranda <laughs> curse actually extends beyond the camera. Like you might actually shoot a whole roll of film fine, but so, you'll you'll pour the blicks in before the developer or something. Like some dumb boneheaded, you know, you'll open the film door and forget to rewind the camera or something. Like it, the curse extends beyond camera failure. Uh, Johnny actually tried to sell me a sensor X once at central that worked and I agreed to buy it. But in between the moment of me saying, I'd like to buy this and actually pulling out my credit card, it stopped working. That's me with the Ashikas. And, uh, yeah. as minute I own them, they stopped working. <laughs> I actually, uh, had a Yashika, um, electro TL just recently using it away for a while. got a couple of rolls of film and then suddenly open up, take, you know, can't see anything through the lens going, what, what the hell's going on here? Take off the lens. Out comes the mirror. Oh, <laughs> out <of> the camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had that happen. I've had, I mean, God, like if you can imagine it, I've, I've had it happen, you know, just the, the, here's a fun one. Um, this is Mark's camera. Also he, last week I showed a Kemper combi um, and the combi, you know, late 1800s, uh, was, you know, credited as one of the first like cheap, you know, roll film miniature cameras. Kodak actually made a proprietary roll film for it. And I don't know if it's just one of those, like, if it's on the internet, it must be true. But I had always thought that the combi used 35 millimeter unperforated film. So I thought, all right, I'll just ro- load in some bulk 35 millimeter and, you know, I'll just expose the sprockets. No big deal. You know, at least I can shoot it. Well, it, it does not use 35 millimeter film. It's like two millimeters narrower. 
So it uses whatever the film that thing was supposed to use is like 32 to 33 millimeters. And loading that thing is amazingly difficult because it's so small, but it's a roll film camera. So you have to thread film on both the take up and supply spools. Each spool has uh, its own knob because the Kemper Combi was also what they called a graphoscope, which it was basically a slide viewer also. So you could take the back of it off. I grab it, but it's upstairs. Uh, You could take the back of it off and put positive slide film back into it. And then you hold it up and you look through the lens and you open up the back at a light and and you could turn this little knob and you would actually be able to view your own images by looking through the camera's lens. Uh, But in order to do that, they had to put two different knobs. Anyway, loading this thing's a nightmare. So I thought I'm never going to be able to do this. I mean, unless I get some like orthochromatic film where I could do this with a safe light on, I even practiced loading this thing with, with bad film in the, in daylight just to get the hang of it. And I fumbled around with it really bad. So I decided the only way I'm going to shoot this damn thing is I'm going to cut tiny little squares of 35 millimeter film and stick them in one at a time, close the thing up, take it out, snap a shot, go back into my bathroom, open it up, take the film out, put another square in. So I did this for four of them. And I don't know if you guys can see this. I got a black circle. (laughs) That's it. I got nothing. And the reason I got nothing is I did not realize that it, the, the shutter uh, lever has two positions. There's your instant position and your bulb position. But you actually have to move it through the bulb position first before getting to the instant position. And, of course, you're opening the lens when you do that. So all four of my exposures, I let light into the lens before I got a chance to, you know, really fire the shutter. So I learned my lesson. I'm in process uh, of, of shooting a couple more. Uh, and I just kind of point the lens at my chest when I cock the shutter to see if maybe I could get some images from it. But, you know, um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, there's so many quirks with some of these old cameras that, you know, using them, it's like, you know, they, you know, there's joke about reading the manual, you know, RTFM. Uh, but sometimes that's not easy to do or, or you do and you just don't remember something. Mike, you're a masochist. Yeah, it's it's a... I, Part, I, I joked with Mark. I said, I can't wait to send this damn thing back to you. <laughs> but he's like, I'm moving. I don't want it. <laughs> it's a hobby. Better, it's got a little bit of self-abuse to it. There's, yeah. there's a little bit of quality of... of uh, yeah, it's, well, there's a challenge because sometimes like, this son of a bitch, I'm going to get this damn thing working. You know, that's how I feel about the Petries. I, on eBay uh, the other day, I think I sent it to Johnny. Uh, there was a FT2 panoramic, and they modified it for full-size 35 millimeter cassettes by like cutting holes on the top of the camera so they stick out. So there's like a, wow! There's like a little like a notch above it or something that the the no, thing. Was... they just made holes so the top of the cassette actually sticks out oh, from the top from the top of the camera. Wow. But, would they I use think, like JB welds to like seal it shut or something? I don't know. I mean, I guess they still it still works. Uh, it's just like, but you can actually fit now like a regular thirty five millimeters in there, so it's pretty that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Never seen anybody like uh, bastardized camera to that point. <laughs> but it that's works, I guess. Way. But I have a Sputnik uh, that was modified for the thirty five too. They put like a big like uh, I don't know like a faucet uh, handle on top to advance film. So it's, like, it's just ridiculous looking too. I mean, some of the modifications, I actually collect them too. They're absolutely uh, fascinating. Some of the work that was put into some of these cameras. 
So here's a preview of an upcoming review. I, I was actually working on this review today. So this review will be out in probably a month or two. But this is a Suzuki press van. It was made by a guy who worked for Pentax. He was the lens designer that created the original Takamars. Um, he was one of three guys that created Azahi that built the original Azahi Flex. Uh, and although I, I can't make this pure connection, I believe that they wanted to do a medium format camera, but Azahi was only focused on the Azahi Flex. So, you know, Pentax is one of the few Japanese cameras that never did medium format. So this guy, Suzuki, formed his Six, own seven. company. Well, that's true. You're right. I guess what I meant was, you're right. They did eventually get into the bigger ones. But um, in the earlier days, yeah, I don't know why I was saying that. I, I've been drinking. Sorry. Um, but anyway, uh, this is, it, I don't know if you can see this, but it's got a Takamar. Um, Mark's got to go real quick. So just want to say thanks to Mark for coming. Uh, you know, hopefully, you know, you enjoyed yourself. We like to yeah. do um, just random chats. So uh, have fun and take it easy. It's been a real quick. Great to see everybody. Take it easy, Mark. Uh, but the reason I bring this up, what's cool about this is six by six camera, but they designed it to do 35 millimeter also. So this is one of the few six by six cameras that actually had a uh, dual format, 35 millimeter and 120. So you could basically stick, you needed a, uh, a mask, uh, but you could actually stick a full 35 millimeter cassette in there. And, you know, it's got, it's got a rewind knob on the bottom plate. Um, you know, it's got the full advanced, the advanced rewind, you know, knob like a typical 35 millimeter camera would, but it's, I mean, very clearly a six by six folding rangefinder so um you, know, you have to put in adapters in there yeah you have to use an adapter so i don't have the adapter unfortunately so i can't shoot the 35 millimeter but the rewind knob doesn't do anything when you're using a 120 spool there's like a tiny little notch in the like little shaft that i imagine that the adapter taps into so that when you turn the rewind knob you know, I'm turning it, nothing's happening. But if I had the correct thing, that would actually rewind the film back into the cassette. But I mean, it's the, the chamber is big enough to fit a 35 millimeter. That's pretty uh, clever. So you would actually get a set of the adapters and the mask, right? Yeah. To go with it. Yeah, you would need, and I imagine when it was new, it that would have just come with it. But um, but yeah, similar it's, to the, the Mamiya 7, isn't it? Where you can actually, they, you know, a more modern camera where they did actually allow for 35 millimeter. Um, for panoramics, um, mm -hmm. and um, I'm looking, but the same sort of thing, the kit where they effectively creates a, a rewind, rewind knob okay. um, situation, yeah. And another similarity, the Mamiya 6 has the moving focal plane for focus. Yeah. This one, when you extend the standard, this knob, focus is controlled via a knob. Um, it doesn't move the film plane, it just moves the lens standard forward and backwards. So you're actually okay. focusing it by, uh, if you've, if you've ever seen a Serto Delina, Delina, it works kind of like that where you turn the focus and the lens and shutter both move forward and backward a little bit. Mike, an awesome one, looking of main, camera. Um, one of the main three guys the, that were doing the Asahi that did that, or was it one of the other lens designers? One of the Takamura. His name was Suzuki. Um, I don't remember his first name. Hold on. I could pull it up. You know, those, those, uh, I think the, those Takamer lenses are, I think they get overlooked a lot of times for other bigger brands, but those, those Takamer lenses are really great. They handle beautifully. 
Yes, yeah, Saburo Matsumoto is the guy mostly credited for starting Azahi. But the guy who did this camera was Ryohi, R-Y-O-H-E-I Suzuki. Um, it was that, he did the lenses and then there was a third guy. I don't remember exactly who it was, but there were three dudes that formed the original Azahi that was yeah. going to make the, the Azahi flex. Yeah. So there's a couple of sites um, that show um, the, who, who designed what lenses in the 50s and 60s for them. Like, and they, they almost like, they, you know, fans of the specific designers and then what, what they then went on later to do as they shifted over to, to, to the later uh, Pentaxes. Yeah. So, Mike, for my, uh, for my Flexorette 6 uh, through Cupbug, I was able to get the complete 35 millimeter conversion kit, including the external viewer. And I was so excited to be able to shoot 35 millimeter in my Flexorette, which is a camera that I actually really enjoy shooting. And uh, it was just such a Rube Goldfarb machine to try to load it up with that 35 millimeter, with the adapters and all the kit is like complete. It's really nice. Uh, finally got my 35 millimeter film out and it looked like I squeegeed it with sandpaper. Oh, really? It scratched the shit out of it? I have never had film that, I mean, I couldn't have intentionally scratched it for effect worse than what that Flexorette kit, kit did. Yeah. <laughs> you got that, you got that from uh Kupog, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. And I mean, I got everything at the external viewfinder and everything, but I doubt I'll ever use it again. I have the Flexor at seven and I don't have the 35 millimeter kit, but the one thing the seven does is uh, it can shoot six by four and a half. So it's like a TLR, but you get 16 shots instead of 12, you know, and if you're not the, you know, like some people aren't good at framing square images, you know, it's nice to be able to frame kind of like a rectangle image in a TLR. Uh, the only other TLR that's true. You're right. Yeah, that's the one nice thing about a TLR is at any angle you could hold it over your head. Um, yeah, the, the Flexorettes are really overlooked. They're fantastic cameras. Yeah. Now, Rick, you you do a lot of repairs, right? I mean, have you ever seen any of these that you've ever had to tinker with, or? I I used to do a lot of repairs. I don't do much anymore. But yeah, I've worked on um, the. Flexorats, sure. Would you, I mean, like build quality? I mean, are they really up to this, up to snuff of the German stuff or? Uh, they're, they're simpler than the German cameras for the most okay. part. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say they're, they're close. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, the images, the lenses are usually pretty decent. Um, yeah. And, you know, and then obviously they were clever. You know, uh, before he left, Mark showed he had a Miopta 16 one of their little sub miniatures that he recently got. So they had some pretty cool things. Yeah. I used to have, actually, I still have a Miopta enlarger. Okay. Works very well. Because Miopta still exists. They still make like optical products, just not cameras. I, I don't know if it's military use or what, but as far as I know, the company still exists out there. Yeah. I just got an email from Theo about his Nikon F100 review. I'll have to read this. Multitasking. No, that was scheduled to pop out. <laughs> just about now, so. That's yes. a camera that's really hard to find in working condition. Yeah, they can be a bit of a hit and miss, but they're um, absolutely awesome camera once they're, once they're fully working. Uh, they, you know, they're, they're basically an F5 with... Um, 
you know, a small form factor. And it, it is really a superb camera to, um, um, to use in, in pretty much any condition. But you got to find them with a working film door. <laughs> yeah, uh, film film door and film spool thing, the, the wine thing. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're the ones, they're, they're the bits that break. It, it, um, sucks. You, it sucks when you have like a camera that's otherwise excellent and it has like just that one weak spot, you one know? weak spot, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I've, I've tried to get one of those before and I've been unsuccessful also. But I got lucky on this one, and um, I didn't even have have the sticky um, the sticky um, rubber. Oh, that's syndrome. lucky. Yeah. yeah. So, if you don't mind, I, I have a question for Rick. I'm kind of switching gears. A yeah, little. go ahead. Uh, since Rick's here, uh, uh, I, I heard a lot about your uh, work uh, in the past. Uh, have you ever worked on uh, Soviet stuff? Since I have this opportunity to ask you that. I'm sorry, what was the question? Have you ever worked on Soviet equipment? Oh, yes. Uh, what, what's your opinion about in terms of maintainability and uh, just in general uh, fixing this kind of stuff? I'm, I'm sorry, what, what do I think of them? Is that what? Right, in terms of like maintenance and uh, repair. Um, the, uh, the Kiev's um our the Kiev rangefinders have been very good that I've had uh but they always seem to have a light leak through the rangefinder optics that um it's just a very difficult area to seal up because the whole top of the camera and the contacts was just a wide open glass prism and sealing that around all the moving parts in the uh, particularly around the the advanced sprocket, uh, very difficult to seal up. And the Zeiss Icon managed to do it. The Kiev people had a hard time, and I've always had a hard time trying to get those to seal up. Um, I've heard stories about on the Zorky shutters that people say if you set the shutter to the wrong speed, you can damage it by when you wind it, um, never been able to damage a Zorky that way. Um, I've, those seem to be very robust cameras. Um, so regarding the Zenit SLRs, uh, when I was in college, I couldn't afford a, an SLR camera and the lab fees. So I never got to take photography. And I had a chance to buy a new Zenit at the time. They were selling bodies for $34. And I didn't do it because I didn't think I could trust a camera that cost $34. <laughs> but I've had them since, and they're really very durable, reliable cameras, very nicely made and very nice to use. Um, have you had any... Um... Have you performed any CLAs on them? Uh, I'm just curious in terms of the uh, this. Uh, there's a lot of there was a lot of discussion in the past on on this this podcast and uh, some other podcasts that I've been on regarding the the lubricant that was used on the Soviet cameras. So it's uh, organic versus uh, inorganic uh, that everybody else used. Have you noticed the difference of uh, like Soviet cameras gumming up a lot more than others, or or this is just a myth? 
I have not noticed that. No. That bacon fat really lasts flat. Yeah. That's the joke <laughs> that they use bacon fat. Yeah. It's, it's just like I've, I've been told that, uh, I mean, and I've seen a lot of uh, survey cameras gummed up. I, I do not collect any other brands uh, per se, and I, I don't use them. So I really don't have much to compare it to. That's why I'm just very curious. How does it compare to like, if you put a Leica on the shelf in 1960 and uh, try to use it today versus if you put a, like a Zorky on the shelf in 1960 and try to use it today, uh, would you have the same type of uh, hardening of the lubricant? Or, uh, I mean, you've seen, I think you've seen enough preparing this kind of stuff that you could probably answer that. Yeah, I, it's hard to say because I don't think I've ever handled a camera that's been sat on a shelf since 1960 to know. Um, but the, the Russian cameras that I've handled from that time period have been very reliable. They have not jammed. They have not been hung up. The uh, shutter, cloth shutters tend to, be, uh, tend to be stiff on things from the 50s. But I have a Leica 3F that has the same problem. So I would yeah, say... And that's something that frustrates me too. Because like anytime someone finds an old Zorky or a Zenit that doesn't work, they just immediately blame it. Oh, it's Soviet. It's like the, the odds of, of a camera of that age failing, in my opinion at least, are equal regardless of who made it. Yeah, but that's what I'm trying to find out yeah. too. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm getting up opportunity to ask Rick since he's here. Yeah, I mean, I was mentioning earlier the Minolta 35 screw mount cameras. The shutters almost never work. You know, I had a Canon 2B that the shutter curtains were Swiss cheese. You know, but I have two Zorky ones here that they they work great. You know, but that I mean, I'm not going to go on record and say that every Zorky one works great either. You know, it just some of you know age is is gonna you know cameras are gonna suffer the rigors of time equally regardless of who made it. Oh, Vlad, the machine with the question. German cameras was was finer than anything on any American cameras. It was finer than anything on any Russian cameras. That doesn't mean that they necessarily worked better. They were just more complex, for sure. Yeah. Vlad, let's flip the question onto you on this one. You, you obviously collect um, Soviet cameras from early through to late ones. Is there a difference in terms of quality from the earlier ones compared to the later ones? Is is there periods where there is differences in quality in in general? Um, I would I would think so. Uh, I mean, uh, I have like anecdote a lot of anecdotal evidence from users who have been asking me the same question. Um, so it seems like anything that was kind of manufacture before uh, late 70s were more or less uh, pretty well quality controlled. Uh, there was like a period towards the second half of 1970s where they started going towards uh, more simpler cameras and more mass-produced cameras. So the production quantities increased significantly, thus the quality suffered. I mean, uh, like for example, if we take the Kiev, the same Kiev contacts that we're talking about, that with a uh, lighting problem, uh, I've heard a lot more issues with the Kiev 4M, which is the later uh, model that has the, the plastic knobs on top, versus the ones that are like Kiev 2, Kiev 3, Kiev 4, 
just because for the four M's are there's a lot more of those. They produced a lot more of those. Uh, they seems like this, the quality did suffer because uh, from what I heard, a lot of them were kind of returned for repair, even out of factory. I mean, uh, it's I've heard quality control issues like with those cameras being brand new. So the people yeah. would like go into the store and they had to know somebody in the store who would let them try that camera out. And they would, and, and like I, some of the photographers I've talked to, they're like, I would go to the store and I would tell them, give me five cameras. And they would like t- test every camera to make sure that it works up to their specifications. And same with lenses. They would, they would look at each lens and basically some of them would just sort of mount them on, on, on the head of the lens uh, testing tools. They would try each lens and they would find the best one out of them. So the production was not consistent when it was at mass produced. So some of the stuff would slip the, the quality assurance people. Right. Okay. Uh, so anything made in the 80s, I would have to say late 70s to 80s, it would probably be a little bit worse. But again, stuff was sitting on a shelf for so long. Uh, if you, at this point, it's kind of hard to tell because a lot of these cameras are gummed up. You have to like run them yeah. through CLA and, uh, and to, in order to really compare them. I mean, I bought a camera 10 years ago in perfect working condition and, and somebody asked me to trade it and I'm like, it was working and I pick it up. It was sitting on the shelf and what do you know? The slow speeds are not working. And I, I, I distinctly remembered that I bought it CLA at the time. So, I mean, it's stuff just dies from just sitting. I mean, I bought so much new in the box cameras. Actually, those are guaranteed to be dead. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that last <laughs> week. Yeah. yeah, funnily enough, the only the only new in the box camera I ever bought, uh, Soviet camera, well, Russian camera, was the um, Kiev eighty eight when I was actually working in Moscow, and uh, it's the only Soviet camera where I've had where it hasn't really worked, um, and and I, the rest have worked fine. Surprising, yeah. If it sits for at least five years somewhere in the box, I mean, pretty much you have to run it for CLA again. Yeah. I mean, I got a nineteen eighty five. Uh, I seen it in brand new in the box, never, never opened. I opened it up; it was jammed out of the box. It was like it was gummed up so bad. It was like I couldn't even, I couldn't even wind it up. So I mean, I it's cool for the shelf, but if you're looking to buy, <laughs> buy a really <laughs> crappy looking one because you know that's been used and brassed. That's it. To be fair to the Kia Vades, though. Um... That's a copy of the Hasselblad 1000F, and yeah. Hasselblad couldn't make those work either. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. It, it's no, the same uh, shutter issues? They, they had a, well, it's an immensely complex shutter, and right. uh, I think the real motivation for the 500C was that they had so much trouble trying to keep the 1600Fs and 1000Fs working, that it yeah. just wasn't worth it. Yeah, they certainly sh- shot for the stars with that 1600. I mean, it was a tremendous accomplishment, but boy, was it complicated. What I do love on the Kiev 88 is that brass shutter um, shutter cloth material. Oh, the foil thing? Oh, that's the, the foil thing. thing. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, do not touch it because it'll make a dent. 
You want to see? A oh, cool, yeah, a, yeah. You want to see a cool shutter? Look at the shutter on the uh, Kiev 10 and 15. It's like a copper fan. Yeah, just don't put your finger in there. Probably yeah. get cut off. It, it it literally. I have a a video of it firing on, on my review on my site, but it, it literally it's a focal plane shutter that opens and closes like a Chinese fan, kind of. Yeah, it's like a really guillotine. bizarre. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a very cool looking. But uh, the Ikea's 80s and 88s, uh, at some point, there was like one person in the United States who would fix them. Now nobody wants to touch him. There was one guy that, uh, fortunately, passed away a few years back in New York, uh, Jerry Soren. He uh, he said, I can fix it uh, and you pay, you pay me for it, but then I, I will not guarantee it will work one day after. Yeah. Because those things are so finicky. Uh, I mean, like you, you shake it wrong, and uh, the shower just breaks. And I'm, I'm amazed to hear that the Hasselblad has the same exact problem. Mm. And I spent I was... 18 months on a Hasselblad 1000 F one time. Oh my god! And yeah. ended up with the shutter worked from a 25th of a second up, and that was the best I could get. And I can't remember many cameras that I've ever just given up, but it, it was a year and a half I spent trying to make that work. Wow. A buddy of mine in UK just bought a 88 and he shot like, I don't know, half a film and then the shutter just died on him. And it was, <laughs> and he tried to, fi- and he likes to fix stuff. And he, he, he basically opened it up and said, no, <laughs> I just set it aside. It's, it, that thing is, yeah, it's, it's incredibly, I mean, I don't even know why they tried to copy that. I mean, they. Well, that's the question. The, the real mistake was choosing that camera to copy. That's that's true. <laughs> I mean, look uh, that, at that, that, that experience is just like mine, actually. I think I've ever gotten one roll of film through it, and that's about it. And that's after getting it fixed as well. So, yeah, I mean, uh, stick to a, a, a Iskra or Moskva uh, for the medium medium format for the Russian stuff. If, if, if you uh, want a nice lens, and uh, well, Iskra is not that reliable, but. It, it, it is a really sharp lens. I think, Mike, did you do a review on that one? Which camera? Iskra. Yes. Yeah, it was yours. Yeah, um, that one turned out real nice. Yeah, the, the, lens, the lens on it is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I really want one of those, but I see so many horror stories about the winding mechanisms being jammed up on them. Oh, just, just buy the one with a red window already. People yeah, people, people cut holes in the back of them and just drill a, a red window so that you could advance it that way. It's a shame they didn't include it. Like the metalist, you know, if the if the winding mechanism messes up, at least you can fall back to the red window. Yeah, it's the best hack. I mean, find a way to modify <laughs> one. Actually, most of them are because that's the first thing that fails on those cameras. Well, you know, I, I hate to be the, the bearer of bad news, but we're coming up on the two-hour mark here. I don't know how long people are going to listen to a two-hour podcast, and I know uh, Rick and Anthony – uh, you, it's past 11 o'clock for you guys, so I don't want to keep occupying your time. Uh, and Theo is at work. <laughs> he's not He's not in a meth house like Cheyenne was, but <laughs> he's at least in his own home. So I thought maybe we, we'd wrap it up. I just you know wanted to say thanks. We, we just missed uh, Rob just signed off. Uh, Dan signed off. He had to go. Uh, and then Mark left us earlier. But I, I thought it was, it was really fascinating at this group of people. You know, I mean, we had collectors we had retail guys you know rick has a ton of experience with repairing you know he is his bright screens are, are people buy them from all over the world 
you know, Vlad's site, USSR photo is, is one of the biggest out there. Um, you know, Anthony, you know, we, he was on the show last week, but you know, I mean, you, you're, you're a user, you know, you, you, Anthony bought a Nikonos and actually took it underwater you know, <laughs> and found out that the light seals, uh, don't hold up even when you think you replace them. So, um, yeah, I just yeah. killed, I just completely killed a five, Yeah, oh. but luckily I had two fives. <laughs> The one works perfectly, but the other one, yeah. you know, it even had new, new seals in it. I've shot underwater for decades and no matter how much care you take, it's just one grain of sand or one hair or who knows. I don't, I couldn't even tell you where the leak came from on this one. Uh, uh, there's some internal seal or something that failed. Probably. Yeah. So, I have a Nikonis three and the, I think the real problem with those was people didn't understand that you have to take the lens off before you could, Mm, yeah. yeah. And those little levers have so much power. If you pull down on those with the lens still mounted, you bend the top yep. plate of the, the chassis and you blow all the water seals. Yeah. And the camera still works and nobody knows that somebody has blown the water seals out mm. of it. Yeah, I've got a three that I've been shooting, got all new seals in it, but I think that there are there are like a half dozen seals that are not usable or not user changeable that they have to be done during a CLA. And there's yeah. one that's on the, the spindle for the film rewind. And I'm getting just like a, a just the tiniest leak that's going straight into the film cassette. Uh, so that when I take the film out, and I usually try to do it as soon as I'm out of the water. Um, the film is damp. Oh, but uh <laughs> Just have some developer dripped in through. (laughs) (laughs) But I I really want to get a CLA done on it while I can, because it's a, those threes are really cool cameras. Yeah. My version of it is the, my three is a nice rainy day camera. Yeah. And don't take it underwater, but it it's impervious to rainstorms. And it's a, it's a nice, it's because that body shell is so heavy, it's, it's very quiet. And that 35-millimeter lens is fantastic. Yeah. if A rangefinder would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. This is, this is the last of this experimental uh, uh, <laughs> branch of the Classic Lenses podcast. Hopefully, we'll do this again. Uh, under a different name i, I don't know we never even mentioned coke cocaine and waffles yeah, what's wrong with cocaine and waffles no no no. i'm just saying like we, we probably <laughs> said that those words like eight thousand times last week and it hasn't right. come up once yet today <laughs> right <laughs> no seriously thanks rick thanks theo thanks vlad um you know anthony and johnny you guys are, are you know uh are always helpful in, in sharing information so i appreciate your guys' time uh and we'll we'll be in touch so we'll get this up uh up posted as soon as we can. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. All right. Thanks, care, guys. Thanks. Join the vintage camera Bye. mafia. Yeah. Take, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> take care, All guys. Right. Good night, everyone. Yeah. Good. good night. All right.
This is the sound of silence. <laughs>